welcome them this morning. It's great to have you guys with us today. Yeah. Got their family here with us and all the way from their missionaries in Maryland. Is that right? Yeah. And so great to have you back in Nebraska and, and the thunderstorms welcomed you uh, last night. But hey, I, I don't know how many of you remember uh, this, but a few years ago, uh, the initials WWJD became really popular. Y'all remember that? Um, in fact, how many here had something with those initials on it? You know, yeah, lots of you. They, they were probably, it was popular to put them on bracelets, kind of like these, or on t-shirts, or bumper stickers, or those kinds of things. They were real popular. Uh, let, let me just tell you, if you don't know where that came from, in the late 1800s, there was this pastor, I believe he was from Topeka, Kansas, but he, he wrote this book, his name was Charles Sheldon, and he wrote this book called In His Steps. And it became one of the best-selling books of all times. And it was all about the pa a pastor of this little church who challenged his people for an entire year before they did anything that they were to ask themselves this question, what would Jesus do? And not to do anything unless they did what they thought Jesus would have them do. That'd be a pretty good way to live our lives, wouldn't it? And so that was kind of what this whole book was about. And a couple of hundred years later, somebody resurrected that. They put WWJD on bracelets and T-shirts and bumper stickers and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of became a part of pop culture. Well, we're going to launch into a brand new series this morning revolving around a similar question, a little bit different, but a similar question. And the question that I want us to wrestle with over the next few weeks is not what would Jesus do? But the question, if Jesus were to look at our lives, what were the things he would undo? <laughs> what would be the things that Jesus would undo in our lives? Not WWJD, but WWJU. If anybody, any of you want to put that on a bumper sticker, bracelet, or anything, do that. I get 10%. Uh, but, but go ahead and do that. But what would Jesus undo? And I want to begin this morning with something that's really, it's really been kind of weighing on my own heart lately. And it's something that I believe Jesus completely wants to undo if it exists at all in our lives. And, and, and I believe that this is prevalent in the modern day church, but it's a condition called spiritual apathy, spiritual indifference. In the book of Revelation, there's a letter that Jesus wrote to the church, and this church was living in this state of spiritual apathy. The church was in this ancient city called Laodicea, and, and Laodicea was actually a, a very powerful little community. About 35 years prior to this letter, um, there was a massive earthquake that destroyed the entire city, but the city, they rallied together and they refused the help of imperial Rome in rebuilding the city. They combined their resources, they rebuilt the city by their own means, and as a result, Laodicea became the city of great wealth. In fact, they became known for their great stadium and theaters, and they had these lavish public bathhouses. And believe it or not, they, they actually had public shopping malls. And so they became known for their wealth. Laodicea, uh, in their day, would have been equivalent to cities in our day like London or L.A. or New York. In other words, Laodicea was the place to be. However, as awesome as Laodicea was they had one very major problem. The, the problem that they had was that their population had outgrown their water supply. And, and so you can imagine the trouble that they had of not having enough water for everybody. And, and so in an attempt to solve this problem, what they did was they built this elaborate aqueduct system. And, and this aqueduct system, what it did was it brought water into the city from two different places. One aqueduct brought water up from a city called Colossae, and the other brought water down from a city called Hierapolis. Hierapolis, just a side note, when I, Hierapolis sounds like where all the superheroes came from, right? Hierapolis. So uh, they had hot water, though. Now, now, both of these cities were kind of famous for their water. Colossae was known for its cold water springs. And in and, and cold water, you know, we know that cold water is, is good because it's refreshing, it's soothing, it quenches us, it quenches our thirst. And so this cold water from Colossae, it was coveted. 
but also was the water from Heropolis. Because while Colossae was known for its cold water, Heropolis was known for its hot springs. And so it was known for, for hot water. And, and people love hot water, right? Especially when you want to take a bath. And in that day, hot water was known for medicinal values. And so, so both the hot water and the cold water, they would pump it in or pipe it in from these two cities but the problem was that by the, by the time the water got down from Heropolis, up from Colossae, the cold water was no longer cold, and the hot water was no longer hot. In fact, they were just kind of the same. Just dirty, lukewarm water. And so when Jesus writes this letter, these words that we're about to read together to this church in Laodicea, in order to help them understand what he's talking about surrounding their problem of spiritual indifference, he uses some language that uh, revolved around an issue that they would be very familiar with. Listen to what Jesus says, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, he says, I know your deeds. In other words, I know how you're living. I know what you've done this week. I know your deeds. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. Jesus says, I wish you were either one. He says, I wish you were either cold or hot because they both serve a purpose. They're both useful, but you're neither and so Jesus says, because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, like the water that gets to where you are, this is what he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I I'm talking to you in physical terms in a way that you'll understand, but spiritually, even though you, you know the sacrifice I made for you, even though you know how much I love you, even though you know what I've invited you into, even though you know what I've empowered you for, the problem I have with you is you have not allowed that knowledge to affect the way that you actually live your lives. You, you just don't seem to care. You, you become satisfied with other things. You've, you've allowed yourself to become overwhelmingly comfortable. Jesus says, and so just like the lukewarm water that gets pumped into your city, it's neither cold nor hot. And because of that, I want to spit you out of my mouth. The very, very literal translation of that is, I just kind of want to vomit you. <laughs> wow. Now, now listen, the reason why this is so important for us is because I'm convinced that, that this culture that we live in is alarmingly close to the culture of the Laodiceans. We live in this culture where there are so many other things that compete for our attention and our affection. And as a result, it is so easy for us to become, become so comfortable to the point where we're not, we're not really hot and we're not really cold because, you know, both of those are useful, but instead we've just become kind of lukewarm, apathetic, spiritually indifferent Christians. And so I believe that the first thing that Jesus wants to undo in us is any sense of spiritual apathy that you or I may tend to fall into. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. What I want to do this morning is I, I just want to talk to you for a minute, first of all, about what I believe are the two primary causes of spiritual apathy or indifference. And then I want to really quickly give you six signs that we need to watch for, we need to guard our hearts for. And, and, then, and, then, um, and then I want to give you a really easy solution for all of this, okay? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's just jump right in. Here are the two uh, primary causes of spiritual indifference. The first one is what I'm going to call uh, the illusion of self-sufficiency. The illusion of self-sufficiency. Notice what Jesus says next in his letter to the Laodiceans. He says, he says you say that I'm, you're rich. I'm rich. In other words, in your mind, you think that you already have everything that you need. You, you say, I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But then he says, what you don't realize is that really you are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. 
Now, now this is really important. What Jesus is saying here is that for those of us who have a lot of resources, who have access to a lot of things, who are wealthy, and we talked about this last week, just by virtue of being born in the United States, you are one of the top 4.5% of the world when it comes to wealth and resources. So Jesus' words here are for us. When it comes to wealth, he says... For those of you who have an abundance of resources, it's easy for you, you have to guard your hearts because it's easy for you to be tricked into thinking that because you have everything that you need, you're okay. (laughs) That you don't really need anything else. When the reality is that although you may have a lot of things and you may have access to a lot of stuff and you may be very comfortable, the reality is you may actually be impoverished in regards to the things that matter most. Boy, if that doesn't describe our culture, I don't, I don't know what does. I, I think I've shared this before, but I remember years ago when Laura and I were still living in Kansas and I had a pastor friend from Sierra Leone, Africa come and stay with us for a while. And I remember one evening we were sitting down in our living room on the sofa and we were just kind of having a conversation and he was sharing with us some of the struggles that he and his family face on a day-to-day basis. And just how, you know, his priorities for the day was, can I go out and can I find enough food in order to feed my wife and my kids? And then at the time, this was right after the war that had taken place in Sierra Leone, and he and his wife had taken in about a half a dozen or so war orphans whose parents had been killed in the war, had no place to go. And so his primary focus was, I've got to get enough food to feed all of these people. We asked him, we said, how do you do that? And he said, well, what we do is we go out and we gather everything that we can. We, you know, we're, I'm in a country that is poor on resources and not a lot of opportunity. And so we just gather what we can. And then we start feeding from the youngest to the oldest. And then once all the kids have, have eaten, then my wife and then me. And wherever we run out, we run out. He said, you know, part of my energy, a big portion of my energy is spent on just trying to find clean drinking water. And, and as he shared these things with us, I, I remember in, in my, you know, in my great spiritual superiority, I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. you know. Pastor George, I'm going to pray for you, that God would help you in, in your situation with all of the poverty that you face. And I'll never forget, I wish I could say it like he did, he had this really deep voice and this thick African accent. He said, oh, no, Pastor Doug. He said, it is I who will pray for you. He said, you see for us. We only have one source. We know that we only have one hope and that if Jesus does not provide for us, we will not be provided for. And so we seek him and we pray and we ask him and Jesus always provides what we need. But I will pray for you because you have way too many other options. He said, for you, you are so tempted to to seek other things and to look in other places, and before long, you have forgotten all about Jesus being your source. And so, don't pray for me, I will pray for you. Wow. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that because that is one of our battles. That just described perfectly one of the battles that we face. I, I mean, it's because of all of our options We're tempted to forget our desperate need for God because we have so many other options. Our battle isn't poverty. Our battle is, you know what, hey, my life actually is pretty good, you know? I mean, I got plenty of food. I got a roof over my head. I've got my car. I got the latest iPhone. I just just got it updated. Man, I've got Netflix, I got my recliner, I got my Snuggie. What do I need? And we forget how much we need Jesus. And Jesus is saying, yeah, it's true. You you may have a lot of things. It's true, you've got every entertainment available to you that you could ask for. But the problem is you become blind to the fact that while you have all of these things and while you're so comfortable, the reality is that you have allowed yourself to become spiritually poor. I mean, you filled yourself 
with so much junk food. You know, the problem with junk food is when we fill ourselves with all that stuff, we no longer hunger things that will really fill us and be healthy for us. And Jesus says, you have filled yourself with so much junk food that you've forgotten what it's like to hunger and thirst after me. (laughs) You've forgotten what it's like. He says, you may have lots of things. You may be pretty entertained. But you've forgotten that what you really need is me. (laughs) This is the illusion of self-sufficiency. The the second thing that lulls us to a place of spiritual apathy is what I'm going to simply call, it's actually a bunch of things, we're going to lump them in together, but it's actually what I'm going to call the distractions of this world. The distractions of this world. Now, Now what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about anything that diverts us from pressing in to the things of God. The, the distractions of the world, I'm not, I'm not talking about bad things necessarily. I'm just talking about lesser things. I'm talking about lesser things that keep us from experiencing the greatest thing. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus talks about this. In fact, he tells this story. We're not going to read the whole thing. But he tells this story about this farmer who's planting some seed. And the farmer is out, and he's just kind of sowing this seed. In those days, you know, they would grab it and just kind of scatter it out on the ground. And, and this farmer, he's out sowing the seed, and he says that some of the seed, it falls into the earth, and the seed begins to, to just sprout and take root root, but then Jesus says this. He says that, that, that it's the worries of life, the worries of this world that begin to choke it out. This life begins and the worries of the world comes. In other words, he, he's talking about you know, the stuff that's always competing for our attention. You, you, know, you know, things like car payments, or our kids' sports or activities or, or mortgage payments, our jobs, school. These are the worries of life. And, and then he says, not just the worries of life, but also the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. So Jesus says that the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, what happens is they come in and this seed, it started to sprout, it started to take root, but they choke out the life that has been given to them by the hearing of the word. And the result is that that seed winds up dying and bearing absolutely no fruit. Listen, for some of us here this morning, For for some who are watching online this morning, the truth is, if the truth were to be told, this is our story. It certainly has been my story. I mean, it's so easy to come here to church on Sunday morning. You know, we hear the word, we're challenged, we're moved, we're stirred with something spiritual. We, we, we hear the word, and the seed gets planted in our hearts, and it begins to, to germinate, and spiritual life begins to take form. And, and then all of a sudden, Monday happens. You know, you, you wake up, and you didn't get enough sleep. And somebody on the way to work, you know, they, they cut in front of you, you get to work and you have to deal with that coworker. Dustin, don't you be nodding your head. Every time I talk about coworkers, <laughs> I get to work and I have to deal with that coworker. <laughs> and, and then and then and then you know you get you go home and you gotta deal with your spouse. And then there are your kids, they need money. They always need money. I mean, when are they gonna get a job? So they don't need their own money, but they need money. And these, these are the worries of life. You turn on your computer, you grab your smartphone, you look and somebody posts something stupid politically on Facebook and you're like, how can they say that? And so you get caught up in that, well, I'm going to, uh, what do they think of this? And the next thing you know, you're caught up in the worries of life. Somebody, somebody, you know, you, you, you get caught up in the, your kids' activities, and this is a big one. I mean, the activities that we allow our kids to be in can take over our life where we don't, all of a sudden, we're so wrapped up in it, we don't even have time for spiritual things. I mean, we got to get them to baseball and gymnastics and piano lessons and taekwondo and dance classes and swimming lessons and soccer practice and on and on and on and on and on and on, and, on and it never stops. 
I'll never forget, again, when, when Laura and I were in Kansas and, 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 and our son Noah got to a certain age, he was a really good baseball player, and somebody came to us and said, man, we'd really, you know, he was playing on a city league team and said, we'd really love for him to come play on this really competitive team, and we travel around, and, and, and as a dad, you know, I was... I had these dreams. I wasn't a good baseball player. I always wanted to be, but, but I, I, I saw that in him and thought, man, I want him to have the opportunity I didn't have. And the next thing you know, every weekend we're in St. Louis and in Nebraska and, and there in Missouri. And the next thing you know, it's every weekend we're gone. And all of a sudden, Laura and I stopped. This was before I was a pastor. They wouldn't let me do that when I was a pastor. So you guys can't do that. But, but all of a sudden, Laura and I stopped and I was like, what in the world are we doing? It just took over our lives. These are the distractions of this world, the worries of life. And they, they, they lead us to a place where all of a sudden we're, we're, we're distracted and we're living a spiritual, apathetic life because we're so consumed in so many other things. The illusion of self-sufficiency and the distractions of this world lead us to spiritual apathy. But, but Jesus, Jesus wants to undo all of that. If, you, if you've fallen into it, you know, it's easy for us to do. We have to guard our hearts. But Jesus wants to undo that in our lives. And the good news is he has the power to do that. Aren't you glad for that? That Jesus has the power to do what we can't do for ourselves. And so he has the power to undo anything, doesn't matter what it is, in our lives that prevent us from fully living out the destiny that he created for us to live in. And so he has the power to undo this. And I don't know about you, man. I don't want to live a spiritual, apathetic life. I've been there. I've lived that way for too many years. And the reality was I was never satisfied. Even when I thought I was satisfied, I wasn't. It was only an illusion, and it did not last. And so I'm so glad that Jesus shows us how we can live above all of that where we don't live lives of spiritual apathy. In fact, according to Scripture, the way that we rise above spiritual apathy is by what the Bible refers to as guarding our hearts. Did you know that we're to guard our hearts? And Proverbs 4.23 says that we're to guard our hearts. Why? Because out of it flow the springs of life. That that's where the seed is planted. That that's where life begins. And so we have to guard that and protect it and we nurture that seed that is planted within us. And so how can we guard our hearts in order to keep us from being lulled into a place of spiritual apathy? Let, let, me, let me just really quickly, I'm going to give you six things um, that I've recognized in my own life as well as the lives of others that are indicators that we may be slipping into a place of spiritual apathy. Every once in a while, it's good to pause for a moment and just kind of take a, an evaluation of our lives. And so these are six areas where we can kind of do this. And we're going to go through them very quickly. The first area that we need to watch for that always leads towards spiritual apathy is this. It's when we become more concerned with impressing people than we are about pleasing God. That, 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 that's a, a, a ramp towards spiritual apathy. When we're more concerned about impressing people than we are with pleasing God. Whenever, whenever we, we shift our focus from, from what can I do, how can I live my life, what would Jesus do? How can I please God in the way that I live out my life? Whenever we shift to that into how can I make so-and-so happy? How can I make so-and-so like me? How, what, what can I post in order to get the most number of likes? When I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is how many people liked me? You know, this is the culture that we live in. How can I get people to like me? That's why, that's why there are things like selfies. Because other people taking our picture wasn't good enough. And so we got to duck lip it up, you know. I can't even do that. <laughs> Nobody would want to see me do that. But, you know, we, we, can I get people to like me? Because I'm more concerned about that than I am in pleasing God. Second Timothy, the, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, one of the things that's going to happen in the end times is that there are going to be people who are lovers of themselves. 
That, that my focus is so much on, I love myself so much, and i got to make you love me, because if you love me, that means I'm, I'm worth loving, and so I can love myself more. If I know that you love me, then, then I'm okay, and so i got to make you love me. And we forget that really where, where we're supposed to live our lives is that we're lovers of God. And that God already proved how much he loved us because he was willing to send his son to die for us, and that's what gave us our value. It's not what you say about me. It's what he's already said about me and what he's already done for me. And when we focus and when we focus in this place where we're so concerned about pleasing other people, we have slipped into this place of spiritual apathy because our attention has turned away from God onto other things, which is the essence of spiritual apathy. Number two is this. It is when temporary things become more important to us than eternal things. Now, 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 what I'm talking about here is when my focus shifts on, on what can I get for myself now? How can, I, how can I be comfortable now? What can I get now rather than what kind of a deposit can I store up for later? Jesus said, he said this, he said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where we want to store them up. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. John, John, 1 John 2.15 is a little bit more harsh. It says this, it says, if you love the world, if your focus is on the things in this world, if you love the things of this world, then it says the love of the Father is not in you. Because God said, I'm not going to have any other gods before me. I'm not going to share you with anybody else. I'm not going to split your love. You're to love me first and foremost. And if you love all of those things more than you love me, then my love's not even in you. In other words, when, when our focus is more on worldly things... You know, things like, like personal comfort or, or entertainment or toys, you know, just all the stuff more than it is on pleasing God, on doing the things that God has commanded us to do. When our focus is more than the problem is we, we have a priority issue and it always leads to a place of spiritual apathy. Now, now, that doesn't mean, again, we're not talking about bad things. We're just talking about lesser things that steal from the greater thing. Number three, this is, this is a really big one, especially in this culture that we live in. Number three, we know we're slipping into spiritual apathy when we begin to rationalize what God has said is sin. When we begin to rationalize sin. Listen. It's like really quiet in here. Y'all okay? We live in a culture where it is, it's just kind of become normal to rename sin, to give it, a, give it a new name in order to make what God has said is harmful and destructive into something that it's really not that bad. This is why... You know, adultery is no longer called adultery. Instead, we call it an, an extramarital relationship. It's just, it's just another relationship that we have, you know. It's, it's, it's no different than an extracurricular activity. Kind of the same thing. I, I, mean, I mean, you know, who can stay faithful to one person anyway? That's, that's, the, that's the thought of the age. Who can stay faithful to one person anyway? And, and, and while we're on the topic, you know, the, the, the other thought is, and, and, and who, can, you know, who can wait until marriage to have a sexual relationship? That's kind of old-fashioned and outdated. And so we don't even hear the word fornication anymore that the Bible uses. Instead, we use, we use premarital relationship or premarital sex because it's just kind of the normal thing to do before a marriage. It's, it's our premarital relationship. It, it's the rationalizing, the renaming of sin. It's why, it's why we use words like addiction instead of drunkenness. 
and adult entertainment instead of pornography. It's why we have terms like white lies. And, and boys will be boys, and kids will be kids, and men will be men. It's, it, it's rationalization of sin. And what we've done is we've just taken sin, and we've dressed it up, and we've given it a better name, so it just looks and feels and sounds better to us. And when we do that, when we do that, it's a sign of spiritual apathy. Listen, listen, I, I'm not trying to make anybody mad. I'm just trying to preach the truth. Because I don't want us to live that way, man. I've lived that way way too long in my life. And it never, see, Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full, might have abundant life, better than the life that you're living right now. And we can't have that life when we allow the seed that he's planted down in our heart to get squashed out because we've allowed other things to come in and we've adopted the patterns of this world. It's about life, man. And we got to live this life because it's what Jesus gave us. It's what he died for. It's what he paid for is this life. The fourth way, we know that we're sliding into a state of spiritual apathy this is a hard one. It's when we say we have faith or when we say we believe in Jesus, but we never share it with anybody else. Spiritual apathy. It's when I say that I have faith, it's when I say I believe in Jesus, it's when I say I'm a follower of Jesus, but I never, ever, ever, if, if ever, rarely if ever, share it with anybody else. Listen, listen, to what, listen to what it says in John chapter 15. Jesus, this is what Jesus says. He says one of the signs, one of the ways that we know that he's in us and we're truly in him is that the way that we know that is when we bear fruit, when we reproduce ourselves. One of the ways that we can look at a tree, and I, I look at this tree, and I know that it's an apple tree, is because that it produces apples. If it produces apples, I know it's an apple tree. One of the ways I know a cherry tree is a cherry tree is because it produces cherries. One of the ways that we know that we're Christians, that we're followers of Christ, is when we reproduce ourselves in the world. And Jesus says, if you're not living that out, if you're not doing that, then I'm not even in you. We need Jesus in us, the hope of glory, because we live in a world who desperately needs hope, and this is the means in which he is created for the world to find hope. It's through us. We're the hope of the world. The world needs us. And the whole essence of spiritual apathy says, you know what? Since my life is pretty okay, since, since, since my life is all right, you know, why do I need to worry about anybody else? I mean, I'm doing okay, so why do I need to worry about them? I mean, I mean, so what? I work with a bunch of people whose lives would be much richer if they knew Jesus. So what? I've got a whole bunch of neighbors who if their life ended tomorrow, they would spend eternity away from Jesus. I mean, I care. Don't get me wrong. I care, but not enough to pray for them. I mean, I care. I care because I know I'm supposed to care, so I care, but not enough to ever say anything. I care, but not enough to ever do anything. We have to ask ourselves, are we living this life where there's been a seed that's planted with us, it begins to spring forth and branch out, it's connected to the vine, and because it's connected to the vine, and we're nurturing it, and we're guarding it, it begins to branch out, and all of a sudden it begins to bear fruit all the way around us. Jesus said that's what being in him means, that he's the vine who's connected to the Father, and we're connected to him. Listen, again, I'm not trying to make anybody mad. But we need to be honest with where we're at. And if we're living in this place of spiritual indifference, it's time that we repent of it first and foremost. We confess it, we repent of it, and we, we rise up and we become the people that God has destined us to be, the people that God has created us to be. The hope of the world lies in us. Why? Because we have the hope of glory in us. A city on a hill can't be hidden. A light can't be covered. 
But if it really exists within us, people around us ought to know it. We ought to just look different. Our, our lives ought to look different. You know, why is it that we don't share our faith? Could, could, I, could I just suggest this? Maybe it's because we don't really believe that the gospel's true. Maybe the reason that we don't share what's been given to us is that we don't believe, really, really believe that the gospel is true. Because if we really believe that people without Christ are destined to an eternity totally separate from him, that that the whole reason that Jesus came was to deposit his spirit in us, and because he's in us, we not only get to spend eternity with him, but we we get to invite other people to do that too. We get to give away the gift that's been given to us that's the gospel I'm convinced that if we really loved people and I, I really believe this I believe that if we really loved people then we would be way more intentional about helping them experience what we've been privileged to experience ourselves that, that we that, that, that our 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 whole experience of church would not be coming to a building that, that where we bring our light to where there's a bunch of other lights and we come together and we all kind of shine our lights together and have this one big light and then we go out and, and, and we cover our light in the darkness because we don't want to stand out. Light always stands out in the darkness, man. It always shines out, it stands out in the darkness. And this is what we've been called to. Y'all okay? I know what I'm saying can sound harsh, and that's not my heart. That's not my intent. But man, we have been created for more than simply punching our Sunday morning time clock, and that being what our church experience, our Christ experience is all about. Every single person in this room, you have been created for a purpose. God created us for a purpose. Jesus in you is the hope of the world, and our purpose is to take that hope to a world who desperately needs hope. Not condemnation, because Scripture says there's no condemnation in Christ. Not condemnation, hope, that there's really life. There's, There's life that's more than this life than we live. Two more. These are going to be quick. The fifth way. We know that we're sliding into a place of spiritual apathy. It's when we find that we seek God only when we need something rather than seeking him every day. When we fall to this place, the only time I talk to God is when I've got my list. These are all the things that are wrong in my life. And then I've got all the solutions of how you ought to fix it, God. We know that we're falling into this place of spiritual apathy. We know that that's creeping into our lives is when the only time that we're moved to pray is when it benefits us personally. When everything that we pray about relates back to making me more comfortable. Listen, somebody said this one time, and I've never forgotten it, that Jesus is way less concerned about our level of comfort than we are. He's not concerned about your comfort, man. He's concerned about his character being developed within us. (laughs) And sometimes it takes us being uncomfortable to develop character. And so Jesus doesn't want to be treated like this tool that whenever I need it, man, when there's something that's broke, I can go to my toolbox and I can pull it out and it'll fix whatever is wrong in my life and then I put it back in the toolbox until I need it again. That's not the relationship that Jesus died to have with us. He died to be in this kind of relationship where there's this intimacy going on because his spirit's within us and the spirit is always in constant communion with the Father. You know, the Trinity is always loving on each other, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's kind of what that's all about. And so because his spirit is deposited within us, we live in this constant state of communion with the Father and the Spirit and the Son. It's just kind of all the time going on. 
When we're told that we're to live in this state of praying without ceasing, it doesn't mean that I go through my day and all day long, you know, I'm ignoring everything else because I'm Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus that. What it means is I've gotten myself to the point because, because of what Christ has done in me and I, I've spent time in his presence that my heart is prone to him and throughout the day I may be involved in an activity but Jesus is never far from me and my, my mind returns to him constantly. Somebody said, somebody said it's kind of like a bird returning to its nest, just naturally. Natural. Just the natural throughout the day. I didn't just get up in the morning and say, hey, Jesus, I got a big day. Be with me. And then I run and leave him there. And then, then when it's time to eat, God bless this food. And then at night, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's just this constant conversation where I always know that Jesus is with me and I'm with him. And we always are in this constant relationship and communion. That, that's, what he, that's what he died to give us. We can live in that way. And we know we're slipping when life, our prayer life, is just about what can you do for me right now. Last one. This is number six. The last way we recognize that we're slipping into spiritual indifference is when our life, when we look at it, you know, and, and it just doesn't really look much different than anybody else. When I look at my life and it doesn't look any different than people who don't know Jesus, when I look at the way that I live my life, the choices that I make, the decisions that I make, my conversation, my, my choices of entertainment, when I look at that and it looks absolutely no different than my neighbor who professes, has no profession at all in knowing Christ, I know I'm slipping into spiritual apathy. Listen, if I've truly given my life to Jesus, then my, my life ought to look distinctly different than it did before I gave my life to Jesus. Friends, this is so important. Without, without guarding our hearts, it is so easy, without ever intending it, to slip into the point where one day I wake up and I realize my life does not look any different than anybody else. Maybe, maybe the only difference is I go to church on Sunday morning and they go golfing. But other than that, it just doesn't look any different. See, one of the things that we believe it's the power of Christ was great enough not just to raise Jesus from the dead. The power of Christ was not just great enough to forgive us of our sin. The power of Christ is great enough to transform our lives. That as we grow in him and as we're, we're, we're seeking him and as we're we're learning from him as our hearts are desiring him that he matures us and he grows us. And my life, my, man, my life ought to look different today than it did five years ago. I, I've been following Jesus for a long time, but I'm still growing in my relationship with him. My life ought to look different than it did 10 years ago. Certainly different than it did 20 years ago. Back then I didn't have like this reverse skunk thing going on in my beard. But I ought to be more than that, right? Listen, what we're talking about this morning, it's the story of the seed. It, it just, it just kind of got choked out, you know. Life just comes in and it, it, the, 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 the worries of this world, the illusion of self-sufficiency, it just kind of comes in and chokes out the passion. And we have to remember that the entire reason that Jesus came was so that we didn't have to live like that. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, let, let me sum up in one sentence why I came. If you wonder why I came, I can sum it up like this. I have come so that you might have life to the fullest extent. That's what I came for. I came so that you could have life. I came so that you could be truly alive. <laughs> Man, that's how I want to live my life, don't you? I want to invite the band to come. And real quick, I just want to give you a really simple, simple, you know, I'm a simple guy, and so this is a really simple solution for all of this. A couple of things. First of all, 
If you've never ever given your life to Jesus, if you've never invited him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, if you've never given him control, that's, that's step one. And so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go any further without giving you an opportunity to do that. In fact, here's, here's what I want to do. Every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus, would you just pray quietly in your own heart that if there's somebody here who hasn't received him yet, they'd have the courage to do that? Don't look at me, pray. And if you, if you are here this morning and Jesus is tugging at your heart, man, you came here this morning for this. This is why he, this is why he brought you here. We believe in a, in a grace that goes before us that pulls us and draws us to the point where we can surrender our lives to Jesus. And so if that's you, what I want you to do is just nobody looking around, nobody's going to embarrass you, call you out, anything like that. I, I, just wanna, I just want you to look at me, raise your hand. I want to pray a prayer, and I'm going to include you in it. not going to embarrass you in any way. If you want to receive Jesus this morning, lift your hand up. Anybody here at all? Anyone at all? Thank you. Anybody else? Say, so I just want to invite this Jesus into my life. Man, I want to have life that's more than just life. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hands down. Jesus, this morning... We're so thankful that you invited us in to a life that's beyond the one that we, we live in our own strength and our own power, our own wisdom, our own knowledge. Thankful for the cross. Thankful for your blood that was shed for us, that washes our sin away, all the stuff we've done in the past. It just gets washed away by your blood when we give ourselves to you. And so this morning, Jesus, for those that raise their hand, I want to pray a special prayer for them. Would you, would you just come upon them? If, if by lifting their hand, they've said, I want this. I want you to be the forgiver of my sin. I want to invite you into my life. You're faithful and true. We believe that you'll do what you said you would do. You said that you came so that nobody would be lost, that, that no one would perish. That's your will. And so, Lord, would you fill them today with your presence? Transform their lives. Make them new. Today, we use that term born again, that our old life is washed away. It's gone, and we got a brand new life. And so just receive that this morning. If you lifted your hand, if you're... If you've asked him in your heart, Jesus, I want you in my life, just receive that new life that he's given to you. Amen. Hey, can we just, can we just say yay, God, for doing that? Man, anytime new life happens, that's a cool thing. Isn't that awesome? That's what we're here for. Man, so that's, that's the first thing. The, the second thing is this. If, if you're here this morning and you've already made that decision, if you've invited Jesus into your life, but as you kind of take an inventory of your life this morning, you realize that you've just kind of lost your joy. You felt yourself slipping in some of the areas that we talked about. The solution is really easy. Psalm 1611 says that in his presence is fullness of joy. <laughs> See, the answer for spiritual apathy is making the decision every day, man, I'm just going to spend time in the presence of God. Because when we're in his presence, that's what changes us. We cannot live apathetic lives in his presence. And so we get into his presence by daily opening up his word because that's the life that he spoke to us. In the beginning was the word. And the word was life. <laughs> and he spoke speaks that into us. His word is alive. It's living. And so as we read his word, he changes us. He transforms us. He infuses his power into us. We have life through his word. And, and then the coolest of all things is God has invited us to come into his presence through prayer. Every time we pray, every time we pray, we have audience with the same God who took and those massive thunderstorms that rolled through here the other night, the power in those storms, the same God who created those, the same God who hung the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon in place, that same God we get to talk to, and guess what? He talks to us too. He talks back to us, but we got to listen. And when we're listening to his voice, and we're in his presence, there's no way that we can live an apathetic life. Because we're in the presence. Listen, man. We're in the presence of the one who said, you know what? If you've ever wondered how I feel about you, this is, this is it. I love you so much that I left my throne in heaven for you. I came to a nasty broken, messed up world. And I was beaten and I was abused 
and I hung on a cross because I wanted you to have this kind of relationship with me. I paid the price. When we're in the presence of that God, how can we live apathetic lives spiritually? We ought to be filled with joy and thanksgiving. We ought to be filled with adoration, man. When we come into a place like this and where all the light comes together, there ought to be some real light shining. And we ought to be worshiping him and not living in this place of apathy. We ought to just be giving him thanks for who he is and what he's done. And so just as a reminder of that, here's what I want to do this morning. We're gonna, one of the ways that we're reminded of how much God loves us and the life that he came to give us is when we get to celebrate together the Lord's Supper. And so I want to end our time this morning. We're going to do that. We remember this morning when Jesus gathered his friends together in the upper room. When they were all there, we're told that he took a piece of bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, guys, this is symbolic of my body, that here, here in a little while it's going to be broken for you. And I want you to take this and eat of it. And every time you do, you can't live in spiritual apathy, man, because you're remembering the price that I paid for you. And in the same way, he took a cup. And he said, this this wine, it represents my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant. It's a new promise. It's entrance for you guys into a kingdom where life is really life. It's a seed that's planted into you that's expected to grow and sprout and produce fruit. It's my blood that was shed for you. And I want you to drink this because I want it to be symbolic of just you letting me get inside of you. Let me get inside of you because it'll change your life. And so drink this. And every time you do it, remember that's what's happened through my blood. My spirit has been deposited in you. And you don't have to live boring, apathetic, indifferent lives. You can live lives that'll blow your mind because God's in you. And so this morning as you partake of this, remember that. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite Pastor Jack to come. And he's going to be on one side, and I'm going to be on the other, and the band's going to play a song. And I just wanted to invite you to come down in the middle here, and you can come to either side, but um, come and say the body of Christ. You'll take the bread, and you can eat it. Say the blood of Christ. You can take the cup and drink it. And then you can set your cups on the altar and then make your way back, and then we're going to pray together. If you need a gluten-free option, uh, I have those on this side. And so just tell me and I'll make sure that you have that. But just come and receive, receive. And in, the, in our church, you don't have to be a member to do this. The only prerequisite is that you prayed the prayer that we prayed earlier, you've invited Christ into your life. And so if Jesus is in you, come and receive this. And so I want you to stand and come receive the bread and the cup.